Welcome back to From the Backseat Football Podcast. The Premier League has finally returned. We are done with the World Cup rubbish. Uh, lessons have been learned for this podcast. We are going to keep this on a breezy under an hour recording. Um, but Boxing Day fixtures did not disappoint and we are here to review each and every game as per usual. Um, and yeah, it's really exciting to be back. As always, I am joined by my regular co-host Jack. Jack, how are we today? I'm very good, thank you, mate. I'm looking forward to the streamlined version of this podcast. You know, we're evolving. We're yeah. Like a team in V2, you know. Yeah. We're getting our shit together and it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lessons we learned. Basically, there's no need to go an hour and a half. No one cares about Wolves at this point on this podcast, so we're just going to breeze over it, guys. <laughs> we're just going to breeze over it. So, without further ado, we're just going to jump in, I think, because we're already a, a minute into our hour. Yeah. So, let's get this, mate. What have we got? Let me guess. Liverpool? Yes, mate. Selfishly, Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 3. Oh, I've missed football. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, this was a good game. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, games a lot of free goal wins as well which is very interesting not sure what that trend means but don't worry about it mm-hmm. um, who should we start with really I feel like the main talking points are Darwin Nunes so many misses so many random moments like everything he does is so enjoyable it's pure box office mate the dummy when clean for on goal the volley that almost went in two late chances that he missed and then he sets up sets up the nice third he's just an odd guy and I like it Mm, proper proper agent of chaos is that Nunes oh pardon me Um, yeah as you say very erratic but he does the business he's effective even if it doesn't look great so um, long may it continue it is very entertaining watching him trundle up and down the pitch he's got such good pace but I don't think he quite knows how to utilise his skill set yet so it's going to be an interesting season but the stats are there Let's not let's not take away from his stats. It's still a goal involvement, and it was a good assist. So, pretty impressed with mm-hmm. him. Pretty impressed. But I understand people laughing at him on my social media too. He's just one of them players. He's a bit of a lightning lightning rod for for this type of stuff. Yeah, it's too easy. But he is hilarious. You feel like there's a lot there. There's a lot to work with. And as a debut season, if he can get to like twenty goal contributions across goals and assists I'd say that's a successful first season and definitely something to build on because there's a lot of good stuff there yeah I think Klopp will work his magic give him a bit of time he does need to figure out how to shoot that's for sure Um, (laughs) but you know it's a work of progress what he's doing he's doing a Roberto Firmino impression right he's the ultimate striker who doesn't score goals very often you know it's all about the running the effort the dummies (laughs) the tricks not about the goals, mate. It's too basic for Darwin. Uh, his shooting is something to, something to, something to work on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it was a good win for Liverpool, especially coming back from the break. And they dominated from start to finish. I know we noticed. We watched it together, obviously, back at Christmas. Um, Robertson was just basically playing left winger. Oxlade was playing inside of him, and that, yep. that overload was just killing them in the first half. I don't think Unai set up really had any answers for that. Uh, there was always a ball on for Trent to just switch it straight to Robertson in acres of space and that was working really well for Liverpool I feel like Liverpool played all the hits like gifting chances to Villa constantly a couple of penalty scares and then just yeah just putting them to the sword really yeah. with superior finishing but it wasn't a comfortable watch for long periods I have to say and I'm very grateful for Ollie Watkins being very bad at finishing <laughs> he's just a nice guy you know he's a man of the people he's a nice guy from the, from the South West but yeah just wasn't up wasn't up to it yeah I mean Liverpool were typically loose which is typical of this season I should say but yeah they just didn't take their chances if anything they it's not like they even tried with those chances they, honestly it was awful some of, the, some of their attempts I'm thinking of Bailey when he literally got mm-hmm. passed back to him he just slipped and, <laughs> you know Watkins with a diving header with yeah. like no pace took all the pace off the cross and straight into Allison's arms and it's that's the key difference really isn't it they're the moments in the game have they got one or t- yeah. one goal back in the first half or have they got one goal at all would have been a very different story but yeah wasn't happening very true, wasn't happening very true. I mean it did feel like on another day it could have been about 5-2 to Villa it was just one of those weird games where mm. we just scored our chances and they didn't. It's kind of like how that seven-two happened or seven-one happened. Yeah, like they just they just scored all those chances and then we just lost our heads. So 
I'm happy, but I'm concerned as always. And it's just like, what's really changed as a Liverpool fan this season? Well, you just want you want that solidity. Yeah, but, but you can't expect quadruple winning stability every season. And I think Liverpool's back line, you know, VVD's looking less imperious to be honest this season maybe we're finally seeing a slight decline there but still a good enough team to get past but let's talk about the first goal Trent outside of the boot pings it out to Robbo first touch to Salah I feel like that's the kind of goal that knocks it out of yourselves a little bit if you feel like and just concede that in the 10th minute or whatever it was I can understand why they were a bit shell-shocked because yeah, what can you do against a goal like such that such a good goal mate honestly such a good goal like, we, we were like well I, I was definitely eulogising when we were watching it Peak Modric, mate. Outside of the boot, like those passes are actually filth. Yeah, and he's got the technique. Seen, we know it. Like Trent, he's just he's doing the things that we know he can do again, as opposed to not not contributing at either end. As long as he's contributing at one end, I don't really care about the defending. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was good enough, wasn't it? His performance, it was definitely more of an attacking performance. But they gave him the time, they gave him the space, and they didn't try and yeah. expose him. So maybe that's 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 Villa's error more than anything. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful goal. Second goal, a lot more straightforward, really. Um, I called it, mate. I'll be honest, guys. This this set of fixtures, I was actually on fire. I think I must have called about <laughs> two things that happened almost instantly. I don't know why. Some say I'm some sort of mystic guru and I'm going to take it. <laughs> but anyway, I saw Buendia and VVD lining up at the corner and I was like, he's going to score. You can't put Buendia on VVD and he scores. Wasn't how I thought he would, wasn't a header, but still, that is crazy to put like the smallest man on the pitch. You know what it is though? It's this weird zonal marking that every team in the Premier League's adopted now. It's not man for man anymore. It's more about a collective. But yeah, it seemed like a mismatch and you were right. Completely just engulfed by VVD's massive frame and it was a good finish from him bit of composure wasn't it just it was. left foot crossed the goalie into the bottom corner I think it got a little deflection but it was still his goal but something that Villa really lacked was just a bit of composure so 2-0 yeah. Liverpool uh, a lot of merit yeah oh sorry I was just going to say there's, there's a lot of merit of having a mixed a mixed setup for corners like a mix of zonal and man for man like you man mark the biggest threats and then the rest of it is zonal. And I don't really understand why people are so rigid about one or the other. Like, mm. most good solutions are a combination of all best practice. Mm. Yeah. I think zonal, actually, though, is more effective, it turns out. Because in terms of your positioning, I guess you don't change, so you mm. get familiarity. But, yeah, it seems odd. And then, you know, Liverpool 2-0 up, and it's a massive challenge for, for Villa to come back after the break. But comeback that they did, I thought they played really well out of the blocks. And, duly enough, they got one back mm-hmm. through Ollie Watkins, I believe. Was yeah. it Ollie Watkins? And I was yeah. pooping myself. Yeah, for for a while it seemed. Well, for twenty minutes after, it seemed like Villa would, you know, play their ways back into this. I don't know. What, I don't quite. I didn't quite notice. Sorry, what Unai did after the break, but whatever he did, it, it made a massive change because they looked way more of a threat. Um, and you know, at two one, they looked more yeah. likely to score going into the eightieth minute. And then what do you know? The youngest looking football player I've ever seen on a football pitch in the Premier League. <laughs> literally comes on within five minutes and scores a wonderful I think it's a debut goal in the Premier League so um, yeah let's talk about that real yes, quick a very good goal from it was lovely lovely running as always from Darwin Nunes mm. that's the one thing you will get mate. he, will he burned run. his man there he will run and run and run yeah I'll be honest I didn't think he'd kept it in play so big credit to him for A getting the ball back in and then just wonderful composure from this 18 year old yeah, took it around the keeper. Bachetic, Bachetic. Bachetic, that's right. Um, yeah, takes it around the keeper, makes Tyrone Mings standard, really, for Tyrone Mings these days. And then, yeah, it's just scenes, mate. You love to see it, and it just kind of settled the nerves. Um, and he is one to look out for as a Spanish under-21 international. This could be something there, mate. You never know. Could be the next big thing. He looks awfully young, though, but, I mean, great finish. So... Yeah, at 3-1, game's dead. Liverpool win three on the bounce. I think that's a pretty good going. I think it's the first time this season you've won three on the bounce as well. So maybe a bit of momentum building up for the for the Scousers. Um, yeah, hopefully. And a shout-out to Robertson as well. 54 Premier League assists, the most ever by a defender. Like, he is he is so good. And I know we don't measure defenders just on, like, output. And you can't measure Ashley Cole, for example, mm. 
our number of assists. But at the same point, he's pretty good as a defender. It's not like he's poor in one specific thing. He's just really, really good and world-class when it comes to assists. So I'm thinking he's going to set a very, very, very tough uh, record for Trent to try and chase. Mm. And I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. But yeah, a word on him. He's just fantastic. He's going to probably end up being the best left-back in the Prem by the time he calls it time. If he carries on like this, I don't see any reason not to. Mm. But I am biased. Yeah. I mean, the assists is an amazing record, to be fair. But I guess because full-backs have changed so much since the Ashley Cole days, it's almost a bit impossible to compare the two. Because they're just so attack-minded, these Liverpool full-backs. They really have trailblazed the position of a full-back and changed it in world football, perhaps. Might be a bit hyperbole there, but I, I presume so. Um... You want to move on to the the best team in the league? One one more final word. I know we've pushed for time, so I'll make it quick. Cody Gap, 37.5 uh, mil yeah, signing. Yeah. I'll be honest, World Cup pods, I was like, I don't really rate this guy. I don't rate Cody Gakpo. So I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I feel like the price is good enough for what he, for the, the potential that he could show that uh, even if it doesn't work out, we're going to get a profit on this guy regardless. But his goal record and his assist record are pretty insane this season. So there's definitely a good player in there. And if we can take him to the next level like we did with Mane, then it's an absolute steal. Yeah, going to be interesting. Is he going to get hit by the Dutch import curse or is he going to, you know, is he going to take like a duck to water? It's always hard to tell, isn't it, from these mm. from these Dutch league imports. So, But I mean, first first impressions, it's a good it's a good price for a good player. And Liverpool needs need some backup right now, especially with Diaz and Yotta out. So, yeah, exciting times for Liverpool fans. Hundred percent, but not as exciting a time as it is for Arsenal fans. Arsenal three, West Ham one. Oh yes. Um, you know what? I'll say something about West Ham before you get carried away. David Moyes, he's never won away at any Big Four club, the traditional Big Four: Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea. Guess how many games he's won in his whole career? Zero. It's actually a joke. Mm. I think at this point, he is purposely or accidentally like negatively impacting the whole the whole West Ham team. Like in the games, in the, on the bus, he's like, guys, it's Arsenal. No one's expecting a result here. Just do your best. Try not to lose 5-0 and we'll go again next week. I genuinely think he's so worn down by his experiences that he doesn't even like pump them up because they were, they were just so average again and they never looked like they were going to do anything all game mm, yeah the West Ham that we've seen in previous seasons is missing but I guess you have to give David Moyes credit for the previous season West Ham right I think he's still a top manager but yeah his tactics don't work against the big four but I almost feel like that's a bit harsh as a stick to beat him with because he's never well apart from Man United to be fair but <laughs> with his Everton time and his West Ham time he was always punching up that's a David Moyes kind of manager isn't it so, um, yeah, but mate, to never ever win away at any of them ever across West Ham, across Everton, Man United, like it's like twenty years. It's actually a joke. So this is like probably like eighty games at this point. Yeah. Not one win. This is when like Chelsea were a bit shit. Liverpool under Roy Hodgson. That was a shit period. Arsenal haven't always been great. Man United have been a basket case. Like, there's so many opportunities to just like steal a one nil. Look, mate, I think you're getting a bit too worked up on David Moyes. We've only got about two minutes left for Arsenal now, so I'm just going to move on. I don't Shit. think he's got to go. I think David Moyes is getting some unfair flack from uh, from Jack there, but there you go. Anyway, soft penalty, soft penalty in the first half for West Ham to take the lead and certainly put the nerves into the Emirates. Saliba tried to pull out, but he still clipped him. It is a pen, unfortunately. Baron, Baron, mm-hmm. Bowen could have actually probably shot. He probably could have actually stayed in his feet, but fair enough. You know, five margins, got a win. What's more, what's more likely, a right foot shot of his weaker foot or a penalty? Take a penalty. Um, and Mike exactly. Oliver agreed. So, yeah, Q Benrama tucking it down the middle. This is a, a World Cup trend, which is going to catch on, I'm sure. So, yeah, 1-0 West Ham. And it's the only strap. We didn't really have too much in the first half, to be honest. There were a couple of chances. Saka got a goal correctly disallowed. And, you know, we definitely looked like the, the team more likely to score. But it's not much when you're kind of huffing and puffing about any reward. Cue the second half. This is where things get really interesting. Um, we needed a bit of luck. And that's what we got. Odegaard shoots. Mm-hmm. Absolute skew. 
Um, Xhaka had made a run on the left-hand side into the box, which meant that Kufar was playing Saka on side. And a beautiful finish to slot it past um, Fabianski. And, you know, that... I think once we got one goal, it was pretty nailed on that we were going to get another. You know, it was like fever pitch in the Emirates, and West Ham just honestly looked like they were ready to give up after the first goal went in. Um, and then the second goal... You could say Fabianski should do better, but I honestly believe that is a as a wonder hit from Martinelli. His little drag onto his left foot completely leaves his man for dead, and he just slaps it near post. The angle was so tight; it was it, it was, was a lovely unfortunate goal. from Fabianski. It was a lovely, lovely goal. Fabianski should definitely do better. But you shouldn't be beating a near post. You know what? I like Martinelli, and I have a great appreciation for Granit Xhaka's work now. In creating the space and supporting Martinelli, dragging defenders to him. Got an assist for Martinelli there as well. Space to do things like that. Exactly. And it's a lot of it's down to Xhaka. Credit to Arteta for transforming this team into one where the first 11 makes perfect sense now. Felt like before it was a bit jumbled, like what Arsenal's best team was. Mm. Now it's so clear and it all works so well. Um, and yeah, the third goal was this thing of real beauty. Oh, yes. Eddie Nketiah. Uh, what was it? Ben White with a little flick. To evade the defender, pass Odegaard, who's another naughty, naughty first time ball to pirouette away. And then, oh, Nketiah. Nketiah, with like honestly such a good spin away from the defender. They would go through on match of the day, using his hands to feel where the defender is, pushes one way, spins the other, finishes past the goalie. It's absolute scenes. It was like, it was literally like perfect, perfect dream scenario, goal. really. We play the sexiest football in the league. It can't be denied. Um, and yeah, two, two assists for Odegaard that game. Wasn't even his best game, but he's just too effective in that cam role. And yeah, you know, any reservations Arsenal fans might have about Enketia replacing Jesus or you know replacing him in the side anyway. Um, maybe your your fears are eased a little bit. Mine certainly are. We look like we're going to be active in January anyway. Madrid seems to be on his way, so it's a real promising time. <laughs> and I think Kronk could. Madrid. Twerking, Madrid, mate. Twerking. He's working for that contract. Even just this morning, he's on that pole. <laughs> on this, <laughs> this morning, just as we're recording, he has posted on his Instagram a screenshot of what his transfer market value is by experts. He's doing all he can to make sure he he rocks up in North London by January. So, I <laughs> I think it's going to go through. I think it's going to go through quite soon. To be honest with you, the way that we're pushing, and yeah, it's just a really exciting time to get behind the team and. Again, I'm not dreaming. It's too, there's no point dreaming. But 40 points from 15 games is unbelievable, really. Unbelievable from from Arsenal. And it's insane. I think top it's four. Insane. You've dropped five points. Five points from from 15 That's games. It's insane. But anyway, last note on this game. You might think I'm I'm breezing through this, guys. We have so many games to get through. I'm sorry. Um, Wenger finally returned since 2018 to watch his first game in the Emirates, and that really was lovely to see. Um, his reason, I can't believe it's the first comeback. Well, he's actually spoken about it before. It's nothing to do with any animosity. He just felt it was a bit too painful to come back. And also, he wanted to let Arsenal transition without his shadow, kind of casting a shadow over you know, being in the stands, putting pressure on managers. Something that maybe Alex Ferguson should have done with Man United when he stepped away, because his presence looms large whenever he's there. So, can understand it. Wenger's that kind of man, a considerate man. Um, and it was lovely in the 60th minute when we finally scored. Uh, there's only one Arsene Wenger kind of went round the crowd and he acknowledged it. And that's the fucking deserve. That's the deserve return for him for all he done for the club. So, just a really nice night, to be honest, for as an Arsenal fan. And we sit top of the league, five points I love clear. That. I love that. This is it. Even when he's not there, he's doing the parenting that you need. Not the parenting you understand at the time. Mm-hmm. That's what you needed to help you move on. No, agreed. What a guy. What a guy. All right. Very good. Very good speed, Hugh. I didn't manage that speed with the Liverpool game. I apologise. Yeah. Um, very self indulgent of you, mate. Newcastle three. <laughs> of course, mate. I, I'll bring it back at the end. Um, I wrote in my notes this game is over after two minutes because it was over. <laughs> like, yeah, literally. Chris Wood thumped his penalty down the middle. Hashtag trend. Hashtag trend. Newcastle don't concede any goals. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's worrying now. They look so good. Oh. I, I live with a Sunderland yeah. fan now, by the way, so I'm going to try and keep my voice down by praising Newcastle. But they really are fantastic. They really are. And I've seen a lot of Newcastle fans get it's annoyed with Almer and second goal saying if if City had scored that, if Arsenal scored, Liverpool scored that, everyone would be raving about it. And I actually think they're right because I didn't I didn't realise Gibbon Rush does a little roulette turn before he plays out wide to Almer on. 
and then Alan oh, does his oh, little jinky. It's, it's unreal, unreal. It's just samba football from <laughs> from the tune, which I never thought I'd say, but like unreal. He's 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 the goat. Alboron is the goat at this point. Like Alboron's the goat. I forgot, I forgot that he was the best player in England. Mm. Um, that's not called Erling Haaland. And eight goals in eight matches, mate. He's actually moving to Real Madrid. If he keeps us up to the end of the season, there's it's a real headache, isn't it? Fucking hell. The guy's so good. So. 150 mil. That's the price I'm putting on him. Cool. A cool 150 mil. So that's it. He's fucking amazing at football. 2-0 to Newcastle after eight minutes. The game's done. Jolinson yeah. puts in a third in the 32nd minute. I see you put that there. Thank you. And that's it. It's game over. Leicester... Yeah. You know, they are pretty ropey at the back, as this game shows, and don't have enough attacking threat up front, and especially with Madison sitting out with what looks like quite a concerning injury. So, it's not looking too rosy, yeah. but luckily Leicester's resurgence... In the, it is a worry. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Just cause, I was just going to say, it is a worry, because, yeah, they're basically, without being rude, it feels like they've been a one-man team a little bit. Like, James mm. Madison has been central to everything good that they've done. Um and they do have a lot of good players, but he just seems to be the main one that makes them tick. And without him, I mean, they they didn't have a shot until the eighty second minute. Yeah, and it's not good words enough. Of Mike Lowen, if you don't shoot, you don't score goals. This is true. That is true. This is true. Thank you, Michael. Back that to the facts. studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no shame in losing to this current iteration of Newcastle, I suppose. But three 0 at home defeat is a bit weak from Leicester but luckily again Brendan's got some credit in the bank they won the last three in the bounce so uh, they're sitting pretty in 13th but that can all change with a couple of bad results so let's just keep an eye on it but Newcastle watch that space with every win it's looking more and more likely that they are on the art well we know they're on the art but more and more likely that they are going to secure that Champions League spot which leaves maybe just one for Chelsea Tottenham Man U and Liverpool to fight over that is madness mate so it's a joke Watch this space. Yeah, they're it's actually they're nailed off top four. Like I feel like they're two years ahead of their schedule now. And title contenders by twenty twenty four. I mean, some are they title contenders now? I don't feel like anyone's a title contender now, apart from City. But at some point, we need to take Arsenal very seriously. Probably within the next month or so, we'll know. Mate, we're fucking contenders, mate. Arsenal City soon, right? Yeah. Well, I think once once February's done. Once February's done, we'll have played all our kind of teams around us, so that'll be a really good kind of idea where we are. But we've got five point lead and a seven point lead maybe on Newcastle. So even if we were to drop points against both of them, it's not terminal. We're still up there. It's just beating the teams like Brighton away next game, massive game. But anyway, let's not talk about Arsenal too much because we have so many games to fucking go through. So Brentford two, Tottenham two. Go. The first game back since uh, the World Cup. Um, now, before we start, and I did point this out on the, on the day we watched it, but what was going on with Brentford's pitch? Literally looked like the army had been and just dug some trenches in it about 48 hours before the game went to play. So <laughs> it was a weird one, that. I don't know if that was part of the game plan. It yeah. certainly worked in the first half. Tottenham just, you know, returned to the norm, which is concede two, and then come back in the second half. It's just like six weeks off, guys, and you're still yeah, doing this just, shit. It's crazy. So not... I, I don't really so know much. what I can take from this. Just that... There's there's nothing new to say, but it's just that warm like feeling of familiarity where you're like, oh yeah, I remember this. Tottenham are fucking weird. They only play one half, and that's nine games in a row where they've trailed at half time now, which is, I don't know if that's a record, but it sounds like a record to me. Um, I don't really know what's up with them. I really don't. No. But yeah, they they look the most likely to win it as well, and you did wonder if it was going to go that way with another like Benton Kerr last minute equaliser but mm. it wasn't to be this time wasn't to be um, I liked Yannick's opening go the goal sorry didn't it come from a corner and he just kind of bundled it in or maybe I've got that completely wrong but a classic Brentford opening goal much. yeah yeah they know how to cause carnage so yeah, by bundled looping it in. in yeah it was just yeah Fraser Forster was in for Hugo Lloris and he didn't cover himself in glory like he parried it straight to um, Yannet, Yannet, who just yeah just slotted it in. I don't know how good Fraser Forster is, but there's probably a reason he's now back up for Hugo Lloris and not challenging him whatsoever. Mm. I always thought he was better than that, but maybe I just got fooled by him being in the England squad. Um, 
Another shout out to my boy, Rico Henry. Rico Henry, Tony and Embuemo, I thought they really stood out, particularly in the first half. Less so in the last 30 minutes, but you like the way they were linking up down the left hand side, like pressing together, the energy. Once they win the ball, they like they like reposition to counter attacks so aggressively. There's just really nice like understanding amongst these players, and it's just it just smacks of really good coaching um, and really good like tactical intelligence from them. Um, and yeah, Tottenham did not enjoy it. Matt Doherty did not have a nice time down that right hand side. Nah. Well, Matt Doherty never has a nice um, time on that right hand side. But let's talk about the comeback. <laughs> um, yeah, Harry Kane, as you say, got his fucking goal. It doesn't do it for England. It's so annoying, you know. It, they should literally just like well, I was about to say they should make the the Tottenham the, the England kit like a Tottenham kit, but I suppose they actually are quite similar. So there's no excuses there. Um, yeah, what can you say? A classic Harry Kane goal. You think he can't score that, and he scores that. So there you go. Two one. Yeah, great header. Very very good header. Mm-hmm. Very good work from Kulusevski. I, I honestly love his work so much. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, here we go, here it comes. Yep. Um, but Hoiberg as well with another goal. Hoiberg is having a seriously breakout season, I think. Oh, I think he's been nation for the best midfielder this season. Okay, that's a bit much, but I think he's been quite underrated since he joined Tottenham. To be fair, I think he's he's one of those players that you don't it doesn't immediately catch your eye, but he's very effective at what he does. And there's a reason, again, it's a bit like Xhaka, I hate to say it, but there's a reason why every manager that's been at Tottenham since he's been there has put him in the team. You know, you can't argue with that. Yeah. No, he's good. He's, he, I feel like he's gone up a level since joining. Like, he's made that step up, and now he's one of Spurs' most important players. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of his work. Just seems like the right kind of, like, combination of all the skills you'd want in a box-to-box mm-hmm. midfielder. And he's a bit of a bastard as well, and I like that. Yeah, cla- classic Tottenham player so the result for Tottenham on the face of it in isolation I guess 2-2 away to Brentford is a good result but the fact that the rest of the traditional big six won yesterday or Boxing Day um, it's a really bad result and maybe we could see them start slipping if they don't you know, sort out their defence in the first half they could see themselves slipping as, games, uh, as other teams gain momentum and speaking of other teams gaining momentum let's move on to United 3 Nottingham Forest 0 Probably on the face of it, not that unexpected. This result. Um, nope. Yeah, I don't really know what to say. Really, I guess yeah. Luke Short sent it back ahead of Maguire was a real no, interesting no. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I heard Maguire was, was, was ill, so maybe there's a reason. But it just does seem Ten Hag just doesn't fancy him. Just doesn't fancy him at all. The fact that Varane was playing almost just a week yeah. after the World Cup final. No ratings for Maguire. That's a very good point. Varane was literally on his hands and knees like emotionally physically just drained mm. and then yeah like a week later he's, he's playing in the he's back in you got Harry Maguire yeah. been sitting on his ass with the flu no chance I've also just although um, what I will say yeah sorry you go having both been ill quite recently it was probably that just like the the sort of yeah lung related illness that basically is taking over the UK that isn't COVID apparently as far as we know some sort of probably mutation god knows I've actually read that Lissandro Martinez is in line mm. to come back Saturday so there you go two World, World Cup finalists <laughs> returning ahead of time before Maguire and I think the writing's on the wall end of the season Ten Hag says all the right things in the press but I think it's done for him at, at, at Man United but let's not talk let's not focus on that mm. Rashford gets a goal he assists a goal Martial scores this is like prime United from 2018 what's going on are we seeing a re- are we seeing a resurgence or are just Nottingham Forest that bad? Both, I think both are very likely. I, it, like Rashford is man of the match. His goal was really good. It was a nice inventive corner routine, and a very selfless assist to help out his pal Martial. Um, he just looks in a very good headspace now, and I feel mm. like at twenty five, it's time for him to kick on. Agreed. The player that we thought he would be, the player that his wages dictate he needs to be, arguably. Um, but it's just like. No matter how you feel about Manchester United, you should feel very good about Marcus Rashford doing good things. Yeah, agreed. Um, and speaking of Martial's goal, the other point of note pre-game was how awful the weather was. Like, it was torrential rain. It looked absolutely horrendous. And I was very grateful to be indoors, like, sitting next to the fire. <laughs> well, we both were. Um, Amen, and not man. just out there, like, with the away fans. Um, but, yeah, like, I wonder how much the rain impacted that second goal because, like, Wayne Hennessy... Bearing in mind, Martial's basically shot down the middle. He's managed to somehow stretch... Well, Hennessy seems to have stretched his entire body 
but not covered any of the goal. <laughs> and he sort of slipped the yeah. ball into the net somehow. It was pretty terrible goalkeeping. And, of course, Martial, that's the kind of goals he scores, right? He's not a good goal scorer. He's not a good player anymore. But Aww. he celebrated like he just won the World Cup, and I respect that. He's probably just happy to score, bless him. It's been so long. I mean, he's that wonder kid that is still waiting to break through, even though he signed in, like, 2017. So... Yeah, I can't say I'm happy for him. Martial but... is the new Jesse Lingard, I reckon. He'll be potential until he's 29 and then we'll all be like, oh, I guess not. Honestly, I think I could see that. He's probably going to get another four-month injury now and that'll be that, so, yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. United, they should be enjoying it right now. They're playing good football. Maybe the most consistent football we've seen ever post-Ferguson, if I'm honest. Um, and 100%. Had it not been for their disastrous give start... Give some stats, mate, quickly. Oh, yeah. Be quick. Please continue. Okay, we're 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 having a Mexican standoff. Okay, just to context to that. Uh, they're on a good run now. One loss in eight games, which was a loss to newly rejuvenated Emery Aston Villa. Mm. Like, and they're just grinding out results, like two ones, one nils, like just decent wins. They could easily the old Man United would have turned these into draws or losses. Um, so yeah, it's just looking good. They're up to fifth, showing signs that this could be the actual turning of the corner now. I mean, look. And that they are to be taken seriously in this top four race. The best way to put it is win their game in hand and they're one point behind Newcastle, replacing Tottenham in the top four. So, stark contrast from the first Ooh, season, yeah. from That's the first good. game of the season, isn't it? So yeah, credit to them. Credit to Ten Hag. Just quietly getting on with his shit. Yeah. So. 100%. And a last word on Nottingham Forest. They were pretty terrible. Outclassed all, all over the field. They haven't an away goal in the Prem since August 20th which was four months ago four mm. months without a goal that's actually terrible that is not relegation avoiding form and if they are going to rely on their home form alone it's going to take a very very big effort they need to turn like the city ground into an actual cauldron you know like Stoke did where it's like every game you could win just because it's horrible to go there or like Burnley did and I don't see that happening so I'm not seeing good signs right now and I'm sure they're going to spend more money in Jan and make it worse. Yeah, I will caveat that though and say they're one win from going 14th. So it's not relegation avoiding form but in this oh season of all seasons actually... anything can happen and don't hold your breath Nottingham Forest staying up because there are a number of teams that could go down this year which we're going to come on to in part two. Yeah. So we're going to take a break and we will be back. And welcome back to part two of From the Backseat. We are absolutely smashing through this schedule. And next up, we have Chelsea 2, Bournemouth 0. Um, I feel like overall the, the, the break was a blessing for Graham Potter. Um, even if half the mm. squad were at the World Cup, like he got to work on the shape of the team, um, the kind of interplay um, with the system, and it was really evident, I thought, in this game. Maybe Bournemouth is a nice game to try out, but they looked a lot more fluid in transition and... Bearing in mind that like six months ago, Chelsea were just they were just so dull. Like they just didn't concede, but they did score. They had so much more threat going mm-hmm. forward with a lot of the same players. So it was no real surprise they took the lead. Very nice direct lateral play is what I wrote through the middle. It's basically just centre back. Koulibaly plays it straight to Jorginho, maybe who plays it to Sterling, plays it to Havertz, or no, whatever. But it was just a straight line basically, which was mm-hmm. both very impressive from Chelsea's point of view to be so direct and see the opportunity and take it but also very very poor from Bournemouth because they never looked like they were going to actually pressure the man in possession or get tight to anyone and that's very unlike the Bournemouth that we knew pre-World Cup Uh, they were full of effort and energy they did get better in the game towards the end but I wonder if this is a curse of making the caretaker manager the permanent manager as soon as you give him that contract form starts to drop off and it's like is he permanent though? 18 months Oh, they gave him a contract, did they? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was a weird one. I guess it's a nice, friendly game for Chelsea to play straight off the World Cup break. And first yeah. half, they were all over them. 
Obviously, Rhys James returned. We'll come back to him in just a second. And he made all the difference on the right-hand side, even if he didn't do anything kind of tangible in terms of goal goal assist or goal scored. But it makes a massive difference having him on the right-hand side. And it's it's notable that the first goal came from the right-hand side. And I'm sure his presence there mm-hmm. was something to do with it. He just knows when to overlap. He knows when to stay back. And he's got this physical presence that... I think a lot of people are wary of Rhys James because he can burn them. He can bundle pasture. I mean, a lot of people don't want it, mm-hmm. and that's fair enough. So, um, <laughs> yeah, great first half. Mount scored an absolute blinder for the second. The classic Mount goal just curled it bottom corner, and it was all looking a bit too form, kind of like a formality. Second half, yeah. 53rd minutes, we see Reese James lying on the floor, head, hand in head, and head in hand. Sorry, and it's not looking hand good. In now, early signs, <laughs> hand in head. <laughs> Early signs are that he's out for three to four weeks, but I can't help but feel that Chelsea are just trying to put a positive spin on it. The fact that he's clutching the same knee, but apparently it's a different pain in the knee. Doesn't look great. It's it's a really bad. Doesn't side. look great. Like as, as someone who's mm. injured their knee previously, it never goes away. And if you do it again and again, it just gets so much worse. And I'll be honest, if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be very very annoyed with the selection of Reese James if he's not fully fit or if he's like still in a risk zone like taking him off at half time is easy in hindsight yeah. but this kind of planning should presumably be that he was fit though Presum- I can't see Potter being like the man to take loads of risks and he did have the whole six weeks off for the World Cup to recover I just think it's I don't want to say anything I'm actually going to touch wood because he's our best he's our best right back no offence Jack um, for England but his style of play is so explosive and he is a very muscular big lad and some players are more susceptible to ACL injuries than others or knee injuries they just put too much pressure on the joints and I just worry of Reese James even if he comes back is he going to trust his knee to go the 400% Reese James that we know mm. and I think a lot of players this is the problem when they have recurring injuries is the mental side like can you fully trust your body you know, are you going to have a moment of hesitation where you wouldn't have had before because you don't want to go out injured again for three, four weeks or four months, whatever? So, it's a very, very critical period in terms of his recovery. Maybe question marks yep. on Chelsea's medical team, but I think that's probably a bit harsh. And yeah, just wish him well, even though he's a he's a Chelsea blue because he is a top 100%, player. Mate. He's a big chunk, but he's also a world class big chunk. And yeah. yeah, the the Premier League is worse for him not being around because he is actually when he's in full flow. He's basically unstoppable. He's just like a force of nature. Um, and as oh, Piliqueta, yeah. the law servant that he is, he's not exactly a life-for-life replacement. Oh, it's nowhere near the level required that Reese James brings. And I you think know. that could be a concern for Potter as well. But Yeah, because um, like Chelsea, mate, they do seem to go off the boil whenever Reese James is injured, unfortunately for them. I'm not saying they're a one-man team, but he just... They're a worse team for it, and there's no shame there. Do you know what I mean? They're, no. they're a worse team for not having him in the team. But I think any team in the world would, would probably be like that with Rich James. Quick word before you yeah. move on and Chelsea buying all the players. Um, what do you reckon? The players so again. They just can't stop. Fafana. They can't stop. So Fafana's been confirmed, I believe, pre-agreement. Links mm-hmm. with, as you've rightly put, Badashile from Monaco. Left-sided centre-back. Not yeah. 100% sure not they sure need they... him after signing Kudabali, no. but there you go. Yeah, I don't think after buying Fafana and Koulibaly, they need a third centre-back. But who am I to tell them what to do, really? I mean, I don't think they need Fafana, but whatever. Also, very mm. interesting rumours today of agreeing a 100 mil fee for Enzo Fernandez. I'm going to call bullshit on that one. But you never you know with Todd Bowley, mate. He seems <laughs> never to know. not know how to stop. And he can't stop, won't stop. And I'm jealous, is the bottom line, I'd say. My overriding feeling but I'm not sure if you can keep buying players I'm not sure where this gets you I presume Fernandez would be long term replacement for Jorginho Jorginho if if mm. if it's true can't help but feel the Enzo Fernandez hype is that classic kind of James Rodriguez post World Cup hype um, mm. he looked good don't get me wrong 115 mil oh, don't know nah don't know. It's too much. It's too much for someone who's having a good like debut or first two years in top flight football. Arguably, you could say the same thing about Bellingham. I know that they're, they're kind of they're different levels, but it's yeah anything over a hundred mil for someone who's not like Harland. It seems like a lot to me. 
Yeah, well, certain Manchester club fucking broke the market with their inane transfers like Anthony and bloody anyone else. So, there you go. This is the state of play these days. So, without further ado, let's move on. Crystal Palace, yeah. nil. Fulham, three. Uh, it is a bit of a walk over this one, but there is context to it. So, we should pro- probably point out right at the beginning. There were red cards for Mitchell in the first half and early in the second half, Tompkins was also sent walking. So, yeah, and when you when you kind of paint it like that, maybe it makes sense. But don't take away from what Fulham are doing, what Marco Silva is doing with a team that everyone really had as going down as a favourite. So mm-hmm. let's talk about it. Three 0 win. What do you think of my, uh, Mitchell's red card? I feel like it's pretty awful, to be honest. I feel like he didn't he didn't really mean to, but when you do end up like going studs on someone's shin. You kind of know it's a red card. And I think he knew that. He seemed pretty devastated about it. And that just shows that it wasn't probably intentional. It just happens. It is what it is. It was one of those ones that looked really bad on replay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think you're right. I don't think he necessarily meant... It was not a malicious one. Obviously, it's malicious because it hits Shen, but... um, Yeah, it's just one of those unfortunate instances, isn't it? Where you just you get the timing wrong, you get the angle wrong... <laughs> And you get someone shit in the process, so yeah. yeah as you watch it, one nil down, one man down. Couldn't get worse, could it? You're wrong. <laughs> yes, you're wrong. If you're thinking that, fifteen minutes later in the second half, yes, you get sent off. James Tompkins, who returns to the Palace lineup for the first time in Yonks, not a great way to to come back into <laughs> no, the team. Now I'm going to give well my thoughts on this again. one. <laughs> Definitely, it's going to be this time next year. Um, I actually don't think it was a red. I think that's proper harsh. That. You see loads of like flailing arms make contact with with, with players before. Um, I just think that was. I'm surprised that was still not overturned by VAR. I couldn't say it was like malicious. He's just a bit clumsy, isn't it? Yeah, like, I'd agree with that. Clum- I thought it was pretty play. pretty light. I can see why it was given as a yellow if he's not on a yellow, but it seems like quite a sure. harsh punishment for what is pretty minimal contact. And it's not like Mitrovic is not, you know, built for this stuff. Like, he would dish yeah. out far worse things and not get booked, just, you know, as part of contesting for balls. Yeah, so, and especially with the context of Mitchell being sent off as well, I just, I'd love to know mm-hmm. what the referee was thinking there, because you have killed the game completely for yeah. something like... Proper damage limitation. I actually think, yeah. all things considered, Palace have actually done quite well here, to only lose 3-0 with, <laughs> with nine players on the pitch. <laughs> um, Don't know about that yeah, myself. <laughs> Fulham are pretty ruthless sure like that. second goal third goal good it's just an easy win for them and that's a very rare thing in the Premier League to have a whole half mm. to just kind of strut around and stroll through the game mm. and just yeah just like play without actual pressure that's a luxury afforded to only like Man City for example generally so a very nice welcome back for them Mitrovic was very good straight back into it very goal good. and an assist for him he just looks like a top Top class striker, and I'm interested for your take because he's not that young now. He's like 27, maybe. So he's kind of like in his prime potentially. Would you say he's a Champions League quality striker? Like, could you see him at I don't know AC Milan? That's oh, my go-to yeah, for easy. everything. Yeah, I could see him in Syria, but I think he loves the Prem too much. I think he's really built for the English game. Like, he's mm. he's a shit house first of all. Not easy. Like physically, he's he's a monster. And he's got a real eye for goal. You know, he's got good technique. So, I think he's quite happy at Fulham. I remember when they went down to Championship with uh, leaving Newcastle, and he was very grateful for being at Fulham. And you know, he's, he's spent a lot of time there now. Let's not forget he's been there three or four years, going up and down like a yo-yo. So, mm-hmm. I think he could be Champions League quality, and I think he's one of those strikers that could prosper even going into his thirties because his game isn't necessarily built on pace in the same way that some other strikers are. So, maybe I could see him at like Lazio at thirty-one playing Champions League for the first time <laughs> after a kind of decent yeah, journey say, career do you think that, do you think there'll be any, any interest in him like over the summer or even in January because if he carries on aren't, yeah there aren't loads of like high quality strikers like out and out goal scorers, especially ones that offer the skills that he does in terms of being like the big man but also being good at finishing he's like quite on vogue again where everyone's looking for that kind yeah. of skill set can agree with that but I think with the way Fulham are playing he obviously gets along with the manager Marco Silva I just don't see him leaving in the summer if they continue this form and they get top you know top half of the table 
you know, lives in West London, Fulham's not 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 a bad play place to play your football, is it? So <laughs> it's just one of them. I just think he's gonna become one of those kind of cult Premier League strikers, like Oli Giroud. Yeah. You know, just hundred percent just there. He's already a cult figure, I think, in Fulham. Because he's Fulham was quite a nice, lovely team and he seems like the total like antithesis of that and I think they really like that, you know. Something a bit different. That's what makes you a cult hero. Speaking of absolute whoppers of strikers in the Premier League, let's move on. Leeds 1, Manchester City 3. It's inevitable. almost don't need to cover this game, but we're going to anyway. Nope. I was extremely disappointed watching this yesterday because I really thought maybe Leeds could get a, get something. And there was a nice bit of, you know, narrative of this one. Alf, Alf England. Fucking hell, what am I trying to say? Alf Harlan, sorry. His, uh, Harlan's dad played for Leeds, is a Leeds fan. Harland himself is very, very known, well, known to have an affinity for Leeds. Was born in Leeds mm-hmm. um, and follows them. Well, followed them. I don't know if he still follows them. Probably still does follow them. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought maybe Leeds could do it. But honestly, I'm just going to talk about Leeds first because City we can come on to. I'm so disappointing watching them play. So disjointed. don't know if they were just uh, nervous, but you just think you've had six weeks off and like, I don't, I just... Mm-hmm. They look like they've regressed since Bielsa. At least with Bielsa, when it clicked, it went really well. And the players knew what they were doing. Sure, they got ran into the ground. That's a whole different story. But we were just talking about the quality of football and Bielsa was hands above what I saw yesterday from Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was disappointing because I felt like City were actually quite loose at the back at times. And if they were just a bit sharper, they could have they could have done some damage. But they just went into themselves and let, let City walk all over them. And they just couldn't play yeah. out from the back. So it was disappointing, yeah. really. I agree with that. I think at points they were literally defending like their six-yard box so, so deep. And that's very different from like the old leads where they would attack you in your final third. You know, they'd actually come for you. And here they just like, they just kept going back and back, which is not, it's not like an issue against City. You understand it, but at the same point, of course, a different version of Leeds would have taken against City and might have troubled them a bit more. The result probably would have been the same. Well, the thing is, it's just a matter of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no shame in a 3-1 loss to a City with Harden leading the attack, but it's the manner. It's the manner in which they just kind of gave the game. They didn't even give the game up. That's the thing. It was just so sloppy and so loose with it that they had no chance. And that was pretty clear from the first 10 minutes. Speaking of the first 10 minutes, Harland, pretty good. Had a one-on-one with Melia mm-hmm. within maybe three minutes, which Melia came out on top, and that really set the tone. Harland was just all over him. And they were always just one pass away, City, from just completely opening up Leeds. Um, yeah. And I'm surprised that it took to the 46th minute for Rodri to actually slot one in, to be honest. Melia, up until then, had literally saved many. And Grealish was well, doing yeah. his best arm and Nunes. So. It, was a, it was a combination, wasn't it? Yeah, of uh, Melia, good, <laughs> Grealish, very bad. And that is the reason that it's still yeah, literally. half time. Grealish, he's just a good lad, literally. you know. He's a man of the people. Um, there's a lot of funny memes going Just around on social good, media at half time about Grealish but he turned it around mate end of the game with two assists if I'm being totally critical yeah. neither of them are very good but some needed no. stuff well I'm going to take the Harlem one he did nick the ball it was so sloppy from Leeds again actually I'm going to get pissed off but yeah. it was it was a good steal and you know it was obvious that he was going to pass but there's just nothing you can do when it's you know 2v1 against the keeper do you know what I mean yeah, it I was good what, trap. What you can do. Like they set, they set a good trap, City. You know, like that is that is the art of pressing. You push people into specific positions, or specific, or even better, you push it onto players that are less comfortable with the ball in certain areas, and then you go for them. And that's basically what they did. They just waited for. I think it was Stroik to have it. it was back to goal, and they just went for him. But it was pretty sloppy. Yeah, it was sloppy man, really sloppy. But two nil, game's done to be honest game yeah. is done um, and what does he do he slots home another one which was you know a nicer goal right foot finish it's inevitable really just so easy I wouldn't yeah. even say Harlan had the best game ever but he'll come away with two goals and oh it's tough isn't it it's tough that is a thing he'll actually be annoyed he didn't get a hat trick or four because he had plenty of chances easier than the the second goal that he scored as well but you know mm. to just throw some pretty obvious stats that everyone already knows fastest ever player in Premier League history to get 20 goals he's done it in 14 games the previous Joke. record was Kevin Phillips who did it in 21 games so only 7 games difference 
I can't see that being <laughs> I wrote beaten. Ever. Maybe by him next season. That's probably <laughs> it. Yeah, mate, the only person being it is him. Yeah, literally. Literally. Um, yeah. That's wild. I'm, it's wild. Uh, yeah, I, I'm staggered. I wrote in my notes, I just wrote, in the words of Rare Phone and it's illegal. It's actually illegal <laughs> what he's doing because it is. It is. He's making, oh, we say it every time we talk about City, but he's just making a mockery of this league. And at this point, if they win the league this season, he might just leave at the end of the season. He's completed the Prem if he carries this on. Can you imagine in if opinion. he comes in, he sets all of the records that will probably never be beaten, and then he fucks off for like 150 mil? If he won the Champo and the Prem in one season, he could already be looking at packing his bags and going somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's nothing left to do. You've, you've cemented your legacy as a City legend already. <laughs> it's wild. So, yeah. yep, City 100%. are five points behind Arsenal in the league. And somehow. Somehow, that just sounds wrong, doesn't it, when you watch them play? But they are yet to play us in the league, so... Uh, looking forward to that. Anyway. You never know, mate. Well um, done. I'd like to add one last point, because I don't actually think the midfield of City gets as much credit as they deserve. But I was watching it a bit more closely, and like... The combination of Rodri, Gundogan and KDB is actually it's actually insane. Because they're all really... Yeah. You know, we talked about Croatia's midfield and how they're all like really, really good at their specific role. And together, it's like a multiplying effect. Like, they bring out the best of each other. And this is the same for these. Like, Rodri is just like... He's just phenomenal at, like, the regista role, I guess. Um, KDB me, is yes. pure box-to-box, box-office. Then Gundogan... Gundogan, so underrated. He's so silky. He's so good at being in the right place at the right time. Never lose possession. It's fucking amazing, man. They're so, so good as a unit. Let me just send you a little graphic of uh, something I found of Rodri. Obviously, it's not going to be explained on the pod, but just to sum up the kind of player he is, it's a joke. What? Why do you explain it to our listeners, mate? Well, I'm going to let you look at it first, and then I'll explain it to the listeners. Essentially... It's a it's a collage of all of Rodri's match ratings over the years, and there is uh, a common theme, <laughs> a common theme that runs throughout uh, oh it, which is he pretty much averages seven point four every game, and it can go higher, but it doesn't go lower. And I think if you've got him at the base of midfield, then Gundogan and KDB are going to look good. He's such a good player. He rarely makes a, a pass that's wrong. He's massive. He's physical. And he suits a City team into the ground. And yeah, you know, he even scored the, the opener with just absolute calmness. So, you know, Rodri, I think, is at the base midfield. And you've got KDB and Gundogan. I mean, yeah. What more can you say? He doesn't, nothing else needs to be said. That is an elite midfield. And KDB loves playing for City. He hates playing for Belgium. So, we saw the yeah. best of him again yesterday, which is hilarious, to be honest. Like, he literally hates playing for Belgium. I don't know what's going on there, but yeah. he does. So. It's funny, isn't it? Because, yeah, same for Gundogan, like, just doesn't do it. Obviously, they can only do it in a world-class team. They can't drag teams to victory. That's the difference. <laughs> That's why KDB yeah. will never be Gerard. Or it's just, maybe it's Pep. Maybe we put it down to Pep. It's bloody tactics. It's bloody Pep ball. Anyway, I'm sick of talking about City and praising them. Let's move on. We've got yes. two games left to cover. Well, I've done so well today. Yeah, Southampton 1, Brighton 3. What a tasty South Coast derby. Um, God, Southampton in trouble. Let's just put it out there. Yes. Let's just yes. put it out there. They're in trouble. Here you go. <laughs> here's, the, here's the intro, mate. Two clubs at different ends of the well-run club narrative. Southampton were the OGs, mate, the originals back in the day, but are now mm-hmm. slumping to the end of that cycle, and Brighton are peaking in their own arc, and it remains to be mm-hmm. seen if they can continue forward or will slowly slide back down and become the new Southampton. But based on the evidence here, Brighton are on the up and up, and Southampton are going down. Down, down, down. Yeah, Southampton are looking like the worst team in the league. Yeah, current and, time, just, and just to sum up the narrative... Guess who opens the scoring? Old boy Lalana, the academy player from Southampton. I know. With a really, really wonderful Painful one. Together, to be fair, after some great interplay from Brighton, like they just look, they just look good. It's not like Deserby's changed anything. He's just hopefully got them all scoring a few more goals. But even like in this game, the goals they scored were all very different. And also, an own goal and a solid March screamer is not going to happen every week. So, 
I think take it with a pinch yeah. of salt, right, fans. Yeah, but you know, that, f- f- to be credit to the Zerbi and Brighton, having Potter ripped out and half your director of football is taken from the club, as well as losing Cucurella, <laughs> you do think like they could have flopped a lot more than they have, and Zerbi yes. didn't have a lot of time, hasn't had a lot of time. I suppose he's had a bit more time now, so. Yeah, you're right though. Solly March Screamer, that rarely happens. A parade own goal. Um, you, arguably, you could say Bazuna could have done better with Alana's effort as well. Um, you could. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Brighton, actually. I don't want to talk about it. I love Brighton. So, yeah, doing really well. <laughs> um, but worrying for Southampton and their new manager appointment, Nathan Jones, I believe it was, who came from Luton. Smacks yeah. of preparing for the championship. And based off that performance, you can understand why. I don't yeah, see an easy fix there. They've got a very young squad as well, very inexperienced. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, there were just loads of errors in this game from them, like the goalie, Perro, Jaisal Prowse. There were just a lot of issues. And I don't know enough about Nathan Jones to know if he can turn it around, but it's Same. not a like it's not a good result after like having four weeks with the squad. Most of them are still there with you. To come out and have mm. this many like unforced errors and bad performers, smacks of not everyone being in a good place right now mentally perhaps or not buying into Nathan Jones initially but it's not like he's come in and galvanised them in the way that he probably would have hoped there's obviously more damage done from the negative results perhaps because it was basically just Hassan Hootal it was the same there was no difference as far as I could tell yeah I think sadly Southampton unless a miracle a miracle run happens this cycle is done and it's time for you to to reset in the second tier of English football, sadly, yep. um, and have your whole team poached, which is going to be brutal. But I think the, the drop-off happened after the new owners took over. We talked about Southampton being his well-run club, the first well-run club of the last 10 years, perhaps. And I think a lot was down to the previous owners who actually knew how to run a football club, it turned out. And I think mm-hmm. their policy of signing youngsters is commendable last summer, but really not what Southampton needed. And... Yeah, I just I can't foresee them really picking it up, to be honest with you. But there you go, there you go. I s- Brighton, you've done well. The one shining light for Southampton is that if they do go down, the youngsters that they have, they're going to be able to sell them for like 150 mil? Millions. Collectively. Oh, millions, yeah. So, like, they'll have a buffer to retain, like, the solid championship squad players and they can just sell those and maybe just take the rest on loan like other good youngsters from City mm. so like I can see what they're thinking it's not like they've got an age squad as well there's assets to sell worst case there's things to grow if they survive it's not the worst thing if they get relegated they're not like it's not like do or die for them they're still that but no and they can take heart from from Burnley for example who are absolutely mm-hmm. smashing the championship there's a chance they can rebound but it's a risk with the championship you know you can get you can go down you can come back up or you can go down and you can be there for much longer than anticipated a la Sunderland a la Leeds so it's always a risk but I agree they're not in the worst place to be going down and it wouldn't be the worst thing for them Southampton fans might even enjoy it they might be challenging for the league and actually playing good football so yeah, we'll see but then, speaking point, of teams they're a weird team oh sorry sorry I cut across you there. no no no, segue. no. I... yeah segue it mate we're on schedule just send it speaking of teams threatened by relegation Everton 1 <laughs> Wolves 2 wow Lampard mate you got to go son <laughs> he's got to go <laughs> he's honestly yeah. it's shocking isn't it it's shocking now that's danger 2-1 such a damaging result especially after 6 weeks off like, Evertonians must be going mad and I can hear the toxicity within the stands mm-hmm. I tell you it's not going to last long for Frankie if he doesn't turn it around but a first win for no, Le Petigree as well so talk to me what do you think I thought first of all it's the Connor Cody derby and <laughs> his uh his old his old family one mate not his new adopted step family mm. so interesting mm. interesting narrative but yeah Yuri Mina back scores the opening goal that is something he does bring to the table I'm not totally sold on him as a starting centre back I think he's a bit error prone but he does yeah. offer something in the other box because he's just so big and he's very dominant at attacking corners and Wolves marking was pretty terrible another issue was zonal marking maybe it's a the pedigree transitional thing 
where they're not totally set on how they defend mm-hmm. corners yet. It will take a bit more time. Um, but yeah, mate, to come back from 1-0 down, bearing in mind Wolves don't score any goals, and to score two, pretty impressive stuff, I have to say. Like, yeah. the dink from Matinho for the equaliser was absolutely lovely. It's just like, mm. he's just so good still, Matinho. He's got no right to be this good and like this, this composed How in old Premier League football now? still. I think he's got to be like 36, 37, 38. I'm not totally sure. But... Yeah, and the fact that he's still kicking around is mental. 36, goodness me, dude. Yeah, it's just like to have the composure to look around, assess your options, and then just dink it to Pedence to just tap it. Oh, it's just so nice. Like, mm. you know, like you talk about players with like real good vision, like Modric or like Trent for that pass. You don't really think of Patino, but he's actually been such a good signing for Wolves because this is like his fifth season now, maybe. And like, maybe without him, they would have never got to this point. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's his fifth season. 158 league appearances for Wolverhampton Wanderers since he joined. That was unexpected when he signed as a 31-year-old. I am certain of it. So, yeah, super impressive. Such a good signing. And huge signing. Still warrants, still warrants his place in the team for sure. Mhm. And then, uh, I mean, I made a note. Joe Hodge, 20-year-old midfielder, make his Premier League appearance. Good for you, Joe. I don't know anything about you. But good for you, mate. I will watch. I will watch closely. I have more to say on that point when I wrote it. No, but fine. I never ever came. Who back knows? He might come into prominence now that you've name dropped him. So who, let's see. Yes, let's see. we will watch. Um, what else? Yeah, I feel like this is a really good result for Wolves. Obviously, three points and scoring two goals is amazing. But like, just the fact that they've won. I mean, I said it to you at the time, and maybe I got a bit carried away. I just think like when you score a last minute winner and it's a new manager the belief that it probably instills in the team and then what Lopetegui can do with that in terms of like turning that into momentum and good positive energy I feel like this could this could be the start of Wolves like winning a few more games like maybe another three in the next five or something like that and just putting a bit of distance between them and the last last spot in the Prem obviously if they lose yeah. they're fucked but if they win the next one I feel like there's something momentum is very important at the bottom I think these like little runs of three wins in a row can basically take you from 20th to 14th so I think this could be huge let's see let's see because with that winner I'm sorry where the fuck were Everton's defenders <laughs> I can't I can't reconcile that you know Ike Nori had that much time to get on his left and then whip it in it was a 4v2 in the last minute mm-hmm. of the game and I know Adama's quick, but it wasn't the quickest break. It wasn't the quickest break. If I was watching that no. as an Everton fan and I saw that go in, I would, I would be booing, I think, because it was just the nature in which they conceded that. It just seemed like the players just don't have the effort or the, or maybe just tactically they don't have the solidity. I don't know. Probably don't have either, let's be fair. Um, but yeah, no. a crushing blow for Everton. But I know what you mean. It could be the springboard. And I think considering how bad Wolves have been, the pedigree, you couldn't have asked for a better start. I'm kind of happy for him in a weird way I don't know much about the lad but you know there's, uh, last minute winners is what it's all about at the end of the day so fair play mm-hmm. fair play to Wolves 100% they are getting yeah. themselves up the table so it was only about two months ago that we were saying that Lampard's doing a great job at Everton and now it seems like it's getting toxic all over again well do you, since that point do you see this ending well oh Well, it's a really hard one, isn't it? Do you think he's going to be there at the end of the season, Lampard? <sighs> you know what? Every time I make a prediction about relegation candidates, they just go on a run. So I've come a bit reluctant to, put, to chop my hat in the ring. Honestly, I, I feel like he could be next on the chop. I don't see them being able to turn it around unless they have some January investment, but we know money's not there for Everton at this current time. But it'll be a disaster for Everton to go down. You spoke about Southampton maybe... You know, there's points that maybe will soften the blow about being relegated. But for Everton, Stanley Park renovation about to come into play. Mm-hmm. It's unimaginable for them to go down. So, yeah, I think from that angle, if it carries on like this, then Board are going to have to make a decision. I don't think he's last in January. Yeah, mate. I think that's a good shot. And unfortunately for him, 
there's suddenly a lot of big name managers that are out of work like Tommy Tuchel's out of work Luis Enrique's out of work Zidane's still out of work Pochettino's out of work I'm not saying any of them would go but <laughs> I was about to say uh, there's no chance any of them. I also would have said that Lopetegui I would have never said that he would go to Wolves well you know like now there's some prem power going on in the lower leagues maybe the lower parts of the but league. it's it's a poison chalice it's like taking a Southampton job it's like they can only get Nathan Jones because realistically Look, mate, no top level all I know is walk into that shit show Don Carlo has trodden the path mate so it's possible now he put Everton on the map and he got them first yeah. at one point stranger things have happened true but if they manage to get a manager of Ancelotti's ilk then I'll take my hat off but can't see it happening I can't see it happening myself and we both know there's trouble. only one man for the job and I haven't mentioned this this episode and that's a running thing hey his I name's out there his name bring is him in being bring about. in I think bring in Sean Dyche hit the button parachute him I in. think it's not a bad shout if you can't if you can't score then you may as well not concede and that's what Sean Dyche does and he also you know exactly. he, that Burnley team uh, overperformed expectations outperformed expectations massively as, you know, yeah. that's a, that's no one enjoyed no one enjoyed going to Turf Moor it was horrible to go there imagine turning Goodson into game. that the fans are really close to the pitch yeah. turn it into an absolute cauldron of misery yeah no he's I the man for the first time ever I'm going to sit here and say that Sean Dyer should be a very sensible appointment for, for Everton so <sighs> you win Jack go on now take your money <laughs> get out of my house no, no, sad no. little life <laughs> I'm just happy about it. I can't wait to see him back. I just miss those gravelly, gravelly interviews. Yeah, he's he deserves a top job and he's bided his time, so yeah. And you know what? Let's just close it on Sean fucking Dyche because that's what we like to do on this pod. We've gone over by four minutes, but guys, this has been a real streamlined episode. We hope you enjoy the new format. Equally, if you prefer us just going on fucking tangents all the time about random shit, then let us know. We're not we're not opposed to it, but mm-hmm analytics show that if we can cut half an hour it might improve us so I'm just going to leave it like that so follow the socials do all that shit and we're back Prem's back we're back for a, a ridiculous schedule that's all I'm going to put on there you got any any that's final right. words Jack? no mate it's just about marginal gains with this podcast just like football it's about <laughs> analytics marginal gains and number of views Exactly. Exactly. So, without further ado, we wish you a wonderful new year. We will be back for the New Year Day fixtures. There might even be fixtures before, but let's see. Um, so, yeah, until then, take care. We'll see you soon.